The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. This is News Talk. Good morning and welcome to The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan. Coming up today, it's that special time of year again as we move the clocks forward an hour. We'll be discussing some of the fastest and most cost-effective ways of making the most of the light we have available to us in the summer. With inflation and energy prices dominating the news headlines, we dig into BER ratings and how to get a better one. Ever dream of having a treehouse as a child? Well, we speak to the man who makes it a reality for children and adults alike. And Home of the Year winner Jennifer Sheehan will be talking about the dazzling world of spirals in interior design and architecture. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can text us here in The Home Show at 53106 for 30 cent. You can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com and you'll find me on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100. And remember, you can listen live or listen back to the show and all of our podcasts on the News Talk app, which is powered by Go Loud. Now, never let it be said that the Home Show doesn't do public service, so I'm reminding all of you and myself, it has to be said, that the clocks go forward at 2am in the morning. Or is it back? No, it's spring forward, fall back. Although you can often fall forward. I've done it myself in a night out and spring back if you spot something that's <laughs> coming at you. So hopefully I haven't thoroughly confused you. But you do have to wonder why we still keep up the tradition of moving the clocks around twice a year. There, I, I don't see any need for it anymore. We've moved on from the very agricultural analogue nation which existed pre-electrification and pre-technology to one where it really doesn't matter what time it is. There's always light when you need it. I mean, it's lovely to have the extra hour or lose the hour but it's a bit of a myth I mean you still have the grand old stretch at this time of year irrespective of what time it says on the clock anyway apparently the whole thing was devised by Benjamin Franklin who wanted to save the use of candles back in the 19th century but it's actually only since the 20th century that we've been doing it at all anyway what do you think are we mad should we just live with it no matter what time it is all year round and do you still need a degree in engineering to change the clock on your cooker mine just stays the same I'll be honest so it'll be coming round to the normal time again uh, tomorrow and I'll be looking forward to that anyway I'd be interested in your views on changing clocks and changing times and all of that 53106 if you want to get in touch and you are very welcome along to the home show Now, with all that in mind, the clocks spring forward tonight, meaning more daylight in the evening, which is certainly no bad thing. And uh, I thought we'd find out how we can maximise the light of our disposal, especially as we come into the summer months, uh, if we haven't got a lot of space to work with. So Eva Byrne, an architect who specialises in house consultations about this very topic, joins me now. Uh, Eva, you're very welcome along to The Home Show. Hi Sinead, how are you? Thank you very much for having me. Now, harnessing the sunlight, um, do you think that as Mm -hmm. Irish people we crave sunlight so much that we kind of follow it around the house uh, all year round? We're constantly looking for that that hit uh, of bright sunlight. Yeah, I think, well, I think as human beings we're actually like cats, you know, or animals that follow the light generally. I don't think it's particularly Ireland. Um, but of course, in Ireland, because there's so little sunlight, really, we, we do tend to grab as much as we can. Funnily enough, I find that people begin to miss the light, not this time of the year, but in the autumn mm. when they've been in their summer holidays, they've been in wide open spaces and suddenly their backs stuck inside their homes. So, yes, we love it this time of year, but we're actually able to get out and about. But still, you know, we're not guaranteed sunshine all the time. So good to grab it uh, you know as much as we can in our houses Um, and just to say I would always distinguish between sun and daylight there's daylight you know everywhere 
sunlight is different. That's, you know, only available, say, from six in the morning till, you know, whatever time at mm. night, depending mm. on the time of the year. So they're two kind of different things. Now, when it comes to house buying and all of that, uh, we, we're told, of course, location, location, location is the number one thing. But actually, an awful lot of people uh, do uh, get concerned very much about the orientation of their house. And it's critical mm-hmm. for some people that they're going to be south or southwest facing. So what are the key factors, do you think, to consider irrespective of what your orientation is? Yeah, well, I think that we have become obsessed with the idea of a south facing uh, back of the house or a southwest facing back of the house. Um, I myself live in a house that faces north on a north south axis. Now, luckily, it's a muse house. So I have a private I have private space, both facing north and south. And I, I say to people, don't be so obsessed about that, um, that my, my attitude to my work and to your home is you can always make the most of what you have. I always look for the optimal solution. There's, and, you know, you've got your raw materials, you've got your house, you've got your budget, budget you've got your aims. So how can all of those come together to give you the best possible solution? I'm a real optimist. I just think make the most of what you have. Indeed, indeed. And you know, of course, we, we yeah, have to so because we may not have a massive budget. We may not have a lot of money no, to spend or to move no, house. But there are no, lots of absolutely. tips um, that, that you yeah, suggest that, yeah. can, that can change the interior of what we have to work with. And the first one, uh, which I, I suppose won't come as much surprise, is to introduce white uh, because it is such a reflective light bouncing surface. And that's something people don't really realize, like, you know, light colors, you know, some white in your cushions, some white in your rugs, you know, things like that. But funnily enough, it's not where I start. I always start at the source of light. So your main source of light is going to be the window. So if you start with the window itself, is there anything outside the window that's blocking light? Is there overgrown, you know, uh, foliage, bushes, trees, anything that you control outside? Um, and then if you look at the window itself, your window coverings, you know, are your blinds more down than they need to be? And I know that sounds really, really simple, <laughs> but people often don't make that connection. Raising a blind to its maximum extent can, you know, hugely influence the into light that you get into a room, tying curtains back, for example. And then my favorite thing is to keep furniture and keep things generally away from the window. It'll improve the flow of both space and light. Oh, really? For example, nowadays. Okay. Well, yeah, well, if you think about it, when we're planning a kitchen nowadays, there used to be, you know, an obsession in the old days of putting the kitchen sink at a window. Yes. Whereas if you think about it, what we've done now is we've realized that a kitchen across a window is a huge blockage because it's a kitchen is actually a mound of stuff, you know, three feet high, 90 centimeters high. That's a big block between inside and outside. So I think that what happened is we've taken the kitchen sink away from the window. We've dragged it back and we've made it into an island so we can still stand and look out the window where we can look at a full length window. Mm. And so the whole room can benefit from that. And it's the same with your furniture. A lot of people tend to stick a couch in a window and no, just no, it right, just completely okay. blocks the light. And you're sitting as you're back to the view. Is that beca- That's because you're, yeah. you're, you're kind of creating then that barrier between you and getting to the window. Is that it? Or barrier. is it just you'd be sitting with your back yeah. to it if, yeah. you're, if you're sitting on the sofa? It's all of those things. You're sitting as you're back to it. 
you're blocking the view anyway when you're looking at the sofa and then you're blocking the flow of space space and light they work very closely together mm. you know when you improve your space you'll, you you'll, you'll often improve your light automatically or the feeling of space and the feeling of light i was in a house recently where they'd completed a really large extension with a very big kitchen a dining area and a sitting area the sitting area they weren't happy with they felt it wasn't cozy and there it was it was a great big sofa with its back to the garden and then two chairs with their back to the kitchen and simply by flipping those two things mm. it hugely transformed the room because suddenly the kitchen for sorry the sofa formed a barrier with the kitchen which was appropriate because that meant when you're sitting down in your sofa you weren't looking at your kitchen you were looking at your lovely garden and two chairs two chairs in front of a window are far less of a block than a sofa I mean it sounds so simple when you say that it sounds obvious but actually people get very wedded to the way that seating and tables and sofas should look and where they are and maybe it's just that harken back to the time maybe in their old family house in the 1970s or 80s that's the way it was always done um, and it's a bit like the floor length curtains you know it, it, but if it blocks out the heat and it blocks out the light it, it, you're not going to be doing yourself any favours at all now glass doors strategic mirrors do, does that all play a part as well? It certainly can yeah Um Glass doors can help bring in light from another source. For example, if you have a bright hall and a dark living room and they're side by side, a glass door can improve the, the flow of light into your living room. But I would add caution there in the sense that in a family home, I don't think clear glass doors are always appropriate, you mm. know, because you want privacy. If people are having, you know, other people, you know, um, friends, if you're teenagers having friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever, it's not really appropriate. There are glass doors. So a great solution are, is an opal glass door, which is like an etched glass door, but it's polished on two sides okay. and that'll let light flow. But it won't, you know, you won't, you won't disturb, you know, the privacy in the room. Mirrors, yes, yeah, strategically placed can be amazing. But I, I would first of all reach for white. Like if you take, if you think of a very dark room, which has say dark floors and a dark sofa and you put a cream colored throw on it and you put in cushions which have some white in it and you put a rug on the floor which is color but also some white or off, off white in it that will also increase the perception of light and the feeling of lightness in the mm. room and mm. um, sometimes I hold up a sheet of white paper on the on the wall and say to people imagine if this was a piece of art you know framed in white it can have a real impact. So it seems to me that you're you're suggesting that the eye kind of bounces off the different white elements, the lighter elements as it moves around the room and maybe creates the illusion that it's wider and brighter than it is. Definitely, yeah. And that's a really cheap, instant solution. That's why I believe money shouldn't be a barrier. Whatever you have, whatever your means, you can absolutely optimise what you have using ideas like that. Art is really powerful in a room in that sense. Mm. Correctly hung, like people tend to hang it too high. But correctly hung, it can be amazing. My art, I mean, it can be a poster. It doesn't have to yeah, be, yeah, yeah. you know, Picasso or anything <laughs> yeah. like that. Okay. And um, sunrooms. Now, I, I'm kind of always interested in, in visiting houses that have dedicated sunrooms. On one hand, it's so indulgent <laughs> just to have a little conservatory where you yeah. just sit and look, look outside. Uh, and there is something very sweet about it, but they can look a little bit old fashioned as well. So how do you nail that design aspect right? Well, in the first place, um, in my world, conservatories are for plants. They're hot in the okay. summer and they're cold in the winter. All so they're right. really not okay. intended for, you know, so they're great as potting sheds and they're great. Orangeries. Uh, somewhere for plants <laughs> to thrive. Orangeries. Yeah, lovely. 
But the thing about a sunroom, what's a sunroom? It's a room that's got sun. So if you've got a room that faces south, you have a sunroom. I, I had a couple uh, early on in my, in my career as a house consultant. They were a lovely couple who had downsized from a farm in Kildare to a townhouse in Kildare Village. Mm-hmm. And I was called to the house. They had a lovely living room at the back of the house. And I was told, Eva, we'd like to add on a sunroom. And I looked at this lovely, large uh, living area and said, Kathleen, you have a sunroom. And we rearranged the furniture and immediately began to embrace the garden and the sun more. And I said to her, not only do you have a sunroom, but what you should do now, because you face south, is get yourself a lovely retractable awning. And then in the summer months, you can sit out there and you can enjoy the outdoors underneath your lovely awning, you know, in the sun. And I had a phone call that June bank holiday weekend saying, Eva, I'm out here in, under my awning and I'm just <laughs> loving it. In her secret sunroom so, that she always had and never knew she had because you just moved of, things around. Yeah, we moved things around and we invested in a retractable awning. You know, that's magic. Wonderful, so, wonderful. Now, storage, of course, is one of the key areas where we need to pare back stuff that will immediately. I mean, I can't, we can't stand clutter. And I know lots of people now have got rid of a lot of clutter and, pu- and pulled it back into furniture items. We've talked about benches instead of chairs under the kitchen table, about kind of retractable counters and movable islands and all that kind of thing. What is your um, top tip to increase storage and and to kind of make a room look bigger? I suppose it's to, I mean, really, if you can, somewhere in the house, create what I would call a bank of storage, or I like to call it a wonder wall of storage. If you can manage to get a space that's 60 centimetres deep by whatever, as long a length as you can, you know, that's your optimal storage. If you can create that in your hall, if you can sneak it in, you know, in a dining area, any area like that. I mean, in our own home, we certainly maxed out what we could do under our stairs. It's it's a treasure trove of storage. Mm. And then mm. a lot of our furniture, like coffee tables and stuff, they double up. Um, so, yeah, we, we just tend to work things very hard. Everything has to do two jobs, really. Mm. Okay, well, listen, Eva, um, you will be putting your own clock forward now in the morning and um, hopefully we won't lose that. We'll get extra light now during uh, during the later hours in the day. And I'm sure we're all looking forward to that. Where can people find out more about you, Eva, and what it is you do? I'm an architect. I work as a house consultant and my website is Houseology. That's H-U-S-E-O-L-O-G-Y dot I-E. Um, I've lots of free advice on my website because I believe in sharing, you know, all these this information and ideas so that everybody can avail of it. So I do have dedicated advice about space, light storage and every room in your house. So everything we've talked about, you'll find in my website. Wonderful. All right. That's Houseology uh, and Eva Byrne. Thank you so much uh, for joining us on the home show this morning. Pleasure to talk to you. Now, still to come, some top tips on making your home more energy efficient without breaking the bank. So put the phone away, pop the kettle on and join me back here after the break on The Home Show. And you're very welcome back to The Home Show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan. Now, just before the break, I was speaking with Eva Byrne. She's an architect who specialises in house consultations. And she was telling us uh, great things about how to get more light into our homes with the clocks going forward tomorrow. And uh, she had some super tips. So do listen back to that on the News Talk app, which is powered by Go Loud. And it is up there on the website at newstalk.com. Now, cornerstone of the government's climate action plan is to retrofit half a million homes by 2030 with the aim of bringing them up to a B2 building energy rating. 
Now, that's easier said than done. So to tell me a little bit about the how-to aspect of all this and explain exactly how the BER system works, I am delighted to welcome back to the show Noel Larkin, Chartered Building Surveyor of Noel Larkin Associates. Noel, you're very welcome back to the home show. Thanks, Jeanette. Great to be back. Thanks for asking me back again. Now, let's start with first things first. Uh, the BER, I think people have a kind of a general idea that A is better than G and they know when it comes to their dishwasher or their fridge or their home. But give give me a kind of a better explanation of what it is what and it how is. it works. No problem whatsoever. So BER, which most people are familiar with at this stage, stands for Building Energy Rating. As you say, just like your white goods, your television, when you get it, that has a very large stamp on the front that shows you the energy uh, consumption of, of that particular product. BER for houses is exactly the same. So what you, essentially what you get if you're buying or renting a property is a building energy rating certificate, rating your house from A to G, A being the best, G being the worst. And that BER, Sinead, is arrived at by a process from your assessor your building energy assessor carries out an inspection and he produces a certificate through a web-based tool that tool is called or the the software is referred to as deep not to be confused with deep uh, retrofit it's d-e-a-p <laughs> right. yeah so uh, which stands for dwelling energy assessment procedure Oh, there so you go now. The, That's posh for you now. Yeah, the, okay. The, yeah, and, and I think lots of people will know, Noel, that if you go to buy a house or sell a house, this is now mandatory. You must get this uh, process completed so that the right. prospective buyer right. uh, knows exactly what they're, what they're getting. Yeah. It's as simple as that. And I suppose that every house is different and every uh, BER should be different because when that assessor goes to site, he takes in a lot of information that he then populates into that deep Mm. Uh, tool online it's very much like a like an excel spreadsheet and he arrives at the end with his report it's based essentially on the size of the house floor area window size orientation of the house and the type of mm. construction so depending on the age of the house and the, the potential for insulation within thickness of walls etc attic insulation all of those things in some instances he has to use default settings Sinead, which gives a certain amount of um, aspirational maybe in some cases in terms of what the actual uh, BER rating is, so it can fluctuate a little bit because there's a certain amount of guesswork because obviously if a wall is sealed and closed, you don't know what insulation is in there. So you're, mm. you're, you're basing your assessment on the age and what should be there rather than what is there. Right. But look, it gives a, it gives a good general indication of how that house is performing. And um, most people aspire and the general the general consensus now is where you, if you are carrying out improvements that you try to, you aim for B2. To, sure. To, to, to raise and, to that level. And certainly in, in getting these grants, the SEAI grants or indeed the new grants that are on the way, you know, that will become mm. kind of a requirement. And of course, all the banks have jumped on this bandwagon and they're offering special mortgage rates for green mortgages and yeah. all that, all that kind of stuff. I wonder, yeah. Noel, is it as important to a home buyer, though, as, as maybe we would like to think it is? I mean, there's a lot of old 70s and 80s houses, I suppose you'd call them projects um, yeah. or exceptions. True. Like, do people really get hung up on, on what they rating do, it is? They do, I suppose, from, yeah, well, from my experience of, of um, doing uh, pre-purchase house surveys, 
they, they'll mention it. It's not foremost in their mind. It's the old scenario of location, location, mm. location. Where's where are schools? Where are shops? Where's the bus stop? Where's the train stop, etc. And it's it's pushed down the line a little bit. It's probably becoming more important now with the price of fuel and all of the things that are that are now coming to the fore in our minds. It's Indeed. so expensive now to, to heat homes. And also, you know, if you're if you're going <laughs> yeah. to remodel an old home, you know exactly it's going to cost an absolute fortune now because you have to meet all these standards. And and I suppose True. if you bought if yeah. you if you had it pre pre installed or somebody else had done it that would be easier now take us a little bit through how we can without doing the joint retrofit how we can make yeah. small improvements maybe to our home to, yeah. to so up our deep, BER the, the, the deep retrofit isn't going to suit everybody it's a, it's a massive job so most people are looking at this and saying can we do little bite sized chunks and, mm. and, and start start small which is which is always the best way to go the, the general the general consensus is that you start with fabric force. You look at the you look at the building fabric where, where most of the heat loss will occur. Simple things, Sinead, like um, attic insulation. For a relatively small amount of money, you'll get a good fix because a lot of heat is lost. Heat rises, so it, it rises through the ceilings and escapes. So um, insulation in attics. Depending on budgets, then you'd look at maybe windows or the single. Uh, there's not too many left those single glazed timber windows, but the the provision of of better windows, like forty percent of, of heat is lost through windows. So if you can change the windows, you're getting you're getting an immediate response. Mm. But the other one, the, the other important one, and and a simple one is draft proofing. People don't realise that. The older houses, they not be, they wouldn't be the standard of today where you have to have air tightness. So an awful lot of heated air is escaping straight out through. It's like driving around with the windows down in your car and trying to heat the car. But if the heat's escaping, you have to introduce new heat or new air and heat that. So draft proofing tries to eliminate or reduce the number of air changes in the house. OK, so how, how, I mean, I understand the attic bit, the insulation, because I've heard that described yeah. as putting a hat on your house, you know, in the same way that yeah. if you're going out in the freezing cold, sticking a hat on will stop the, the heat escaping. And windows, mm. OK, everybody loves new windows. They're kind of expensive, but at least they come triple glazed yeah. and they're fabulous. Draft proofing. So wh- what do you mean by that? Is that down to like draft excluders S- S- or... Yes, simple as that. Really? Ones that people might, might people mightn't think of. Like not most people still have open flues in their house. They'd have a room where there's an open fireplace that isn't used. It might be used on Christmas Day and a couple of days after, and it's never the fire's never lit there again. But that's a gaping hole in the middle of the house where hot air is escaping, and that hot air that escapes has to be replaced with cold air. So a very simple draft balloon. I'm sure mm. you've seen them. Mm. Get them in most hardware shops, so you can buy them online. You just put a balloon into the flue, inflate it, and a little sign hangs down to remind you (laughs) I think that's the most important bit (laughs) before you light the fire in the winter (laughs) exactly so if you can imagine the amount of air that's going up that that chimney that's that's a that's a very simple fix and immediate immediate kind of response the hatch access hatch into the attic air holes in through it people don't realize that usually isn't draft proof or usually isn't insulated down lighters on ceilings Sinead is another one if you have a hallway with 10 down lighters running down the hall. You've got 10 holes in the ceiling allowing air to escape out of right. that space and into the attic. I never so thought of those. There are little cows that you can get. Yeah, simple as that. The, the, most people don't think of them. Um, even even the old sausage uh, cushion along the bottom of the, of the door or windows howling yeah. in under it, curtains over external doors, all of the old simple fixes that, that we might have been aware of from the past, they work. So the, the extra little bit of strip draft proofing around the windows where the window may not close tightly. Most something that I mentioned as well is just on a lot of the old plastic windows after time, 
they don't close very tightly. Mm. The casement doesn't close against the seal. There's mm. a very simple fix on that. There's what's called a nest peg. Not to get too technical, but the latch that closes that window can be adjusted to make it pull tighter to the seal. So even a check around the windows to make sure that they seal will give you an immediate uh, correction of drafts through the house. That is a, a fantastic range of stuff that actually not only is, is straightforward, but not expensive. I thought you were going to start about pumping stuff into interior walls and all that. No. But actually, the attic, floor the attic or, or put in your insulation, uh, draft proofing, the simple stuff, the brush, the sausage dog, um, the uh, the uh, yeah. lights, uh, the light holes, the, the attic uh, door. I mean, they're just simple things that actually Easy anybody stuff. could do this Easy weekend, stuff. couldn't they? They could start straight away with the, the, the extra hour now. Or they've lost an hour. So <laughs> lost an hour. They want to get a move on. Today's the day um, to start, folks, before the hour is lost and, and get all that done. Noel Larkin, thank you so much. We're going to have you back on the show, I think, when all of those grants come available and everything. Now, people are actually getting involved in those deep retrofits and we'll talk to you about the big picture stuff. Um, but that is that is a great uh, few simple things that people can get done now. And thank you very much for joining joining us on the home show to talk about it. Thanks, Liz. That was No Larkin of No Larkin Associates. Now, it might have been all of our dreams at one stage in our life to have a tree house to call our own. Well, for those of us still young at heart, it might still be an option. Peter O'Brien, owner and principal designer of Plan Eden Garden Design and Forest Wild Tree Houses, joins me now. Peter, uh, welcome along to the home show. Good morning, Sinead. Now, tell us a little bit about uh, the business. Why tree houses and how did it get started? Are you just bringing out the big child in yourself? <laughs> there, there, there probably is an element of that, all right. I think you have to you have to be passionate about what you do, I think, anyway, in, in, in this line of business. Um, I started as a carpenter all, all 40 plus years ago and then a, a building contractor with some doing some design work. Uh, then decided I want to change and was always interested in gardens, so uh, went into garden design and landscaping, but still with uh, a strong interest in garden structures and that sort of thing, and, and timber, working with timber generally. And uh, just at, on one particular job, um, a client mentioned he had a coppice of trees and would love to build a tree house there at some stage, and I said, well, now's the time, I'll work on a plan for you, and, and I did and went ahead with that, and it got good publicity, so it, one thing led to another within, I suppose, about a five year period, I um, the tree houses became half the business. And uh, so that's where I am today. Mm, and indeed, you you have been um, showing it at, at Bloom when when that was uh, on live. And yes. I know you've won awards and all that kind of stuff. Um, and actually, that Bloom tree house that you did was absolutely fantastic because it was reminiscent to me. Of, I was absolutely obsessed with Enid Blyton as a child, you know, the famous five and the secret seven. And they always seemed to have a tree house that they cobbled together from a few planks of wood. <laughs> <laughs> and stolen ginger yeah, beer. Yeah, so yeah. How important is it? To ha- it seems almost obvious, but how important is it to have a large tree to work with? Well, as you, you mentioned, Bloom itself, obviously there were no trees there. Um, so it was a totally green uh, green field site we start with, all the gardens start with. So it's, it, it shows that um, it sort of em- was useful to emphasise that you don't actually need a tree to build a tree house. Um, this is where the blend between garden design and tree houses it comes in so strongly for me in that I can I can create an atmosphere. Now, it's terrific if you have a 50, 100 year old oak or something to deal with. That's marvelous. But 
it's not always necessary. You know? Yes, you can you can work with the structure that you you make, say down the back back of a garden or something like that. Uh, so it's not that it's essential to have it in the first place. So people can go ahead and and think about constructing a playhouse. Then I suppose you'd call it, would you? Yeah, well, you can still create a treehouse. Yes, very often the structures would be more playhouse than treehouse. Yeah. And they don't need particularly need to be high. They can be anything, you know, from a half metre upwards just to deck level. You just give that separation from the ground. But with careful planting and, and landscaping, you can create the atmosphere of a, a floating structure above the ground, which is, I suppose, which is a definition of the treehouse, really. Sure. Now, are these all prefabricated or are do, do you prefer to work kind of bespoke and made to measure? Well, they're all totally bespoke. Um, I've, I've never done a treehouse that was, you know, in any way um, related to a previous job. Oh, it, there would be some basic structures, of course, basic elements, but it's it's a question of using them to particularly mm. for the site and the client's requirements, the ages of people using it, whether it's for multi-generational or just for children. But even if it's for children, it's built in such a way that it can develop with them. There's mm. no point in building for if somebody comes to me with a three and a four year old uh, and saying, I want a tree house for them. Well, I say, well, yes, but you don't want it just for them for for the, when they're three year old, four year old. And by, by the time they're 10, it's, oh, that's not a cool place to spend time. Mm. So you're trying to build that in to build that longevity into the um, into the design. Also, for for the parents, for the adults, too, that it can be a nice place to uh, bring a cup of coffee or a, um, a glass of wine in the evenings. Watch Escape. The sunset through the clamber trees, up you know? and <laughs> clamber up yeah, and sit so there and watch the it, stars. Yeah, it, it, very often people come to me with that with that initial brief. But once they once I talk to them and, you know, given that they're not cheap structures and mm. that they're built to last and they, they'd be certainly good for generations if they're well maintained. So you know it's worked to to see to see the uh, the, the possibilities more from a treehouse. So what kind of um, are the more I, I'm not going to say outlandish but grandiose ideas that that you've come up with? Because I know that you did one garden. I I saw it and you had included like things like a zip line and yes, yeah. balance beams and monkey bars. Sounds like a playground. Mm. Well, yeah. Well, I, I, I more and more I'm getting into that. What I as I would class them as play gardens essentially. Um, where the garden, it's not that they would be totally given over to children, but that the, the children's play elements would be worked into the into the overall garden design. Mm. And yes, it can can include um, treehouse, playhouse, uh, rope bridges, um, as you say, balancing beams. And then I use uh, large poles and um, uh, lines and then zip lines, um, monkey bars, climbing walls. Um, swings slides uh, i tell you what that would be the most so popular soft. house in the neighborhood you'd be I, I, having yeah. your birthday party well, there every well, day of course that's a, that's a wish list you wouldn't do it you wouldn't do all <laughs> but yeah it's elements of it and you know different kids some kids like to climb some like to swing some like sliding yeah. and and then getting more into putting in trapeze net that the the kids and adults can just lie back in up, up above the ground. So oh, that fabulous. A particularly lovely um, atmosphere and very relaxing. I'm thinking that kids are a tough audience and they let you know right away if they're not happy with something or if it doesn't work for them. So uh, do you listen sure. to children when you're when you're kind of coming up with designs? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly, yeah. Like some will will want to do a drawing for you, and whatever useful it be, it gives you, it gives you <laughs> certainly an idea of what they what they want anyway. Yeah, and they like to be engaged, and yeah, it's certainly um, it, certainly, and, and show them the drawings, and 
sort of discuss, you know, with them what they want, get their parents to get them to do a wish, wish list or a, that sort of thing. So, yeah, absolutely. Oh, now, of course, on, on the grown up side, one of the things you're dealing with, I imagine at the moment, are uh, like everybody else, uh, supply chain issues and difficulties mm-hmm. getting materials and all of that kind of mm-hmm. thing. How have you found that over the last few months, Peter? Very difficult, very difficult. Mm. Um, availability and cost um, is just so hard to to control. Um, uh, it's it's been a nightmare to a certain extent. Um, trying to get you you suddenly get caught where um, some sheet material might be plywood or of of a particular type that I would use would be unavailable or and uh, at a cost when when it is available it's it's in the last year it's gone up by a hundred percent in in some cases and slightly more. Do you think that the government could do more in that regard? Um, maybe with that or some other elements or where do you think the solution lies? Yeah, I, I think, well, I, I do feel that it's kind of, uh, we're ironing out the, well, not, but the, internationally, the, the kinks in the, the supply chain is, is are being iron, ironed out. But um, on the costs, it's, you know, it's it's very hard to know what the government can do when it's, um, it's part, it's prices abroad, you know, mm. some of the, I would use, I would use a lot of cedar shingles, uh, roof slates and cedar. And they come from the states and Canada, and there's such a, a housing boom there at the moment that their their first market is their is their home market. Of so course. we have supply problems, but also the pricing. You know, two two and a half times what they were uh, last year, Gosh, eighteen months yeah. ago. Okay, so if people so, if yeah. people have have it in mind now with all the works that I suppose have been pent up and there's a lot of demand out there for all kinds of building works at the moment uh, and indeed carpentry, so uh, people maybe want to look at getting something done for the garden over the next year or so. So where can people find out more about you, Peter? Um, well, you can look at uh, either um, planedengardendesign.ie or forestwild.ie. Forestwild.ie and actually there's some great examples on there. It looks absolutely uh, dreamlike, I would think. You'd want to be a child all over again. Uh, Peter O'Brien, owner and principal designer of Forest Wild Treehouses. Thanks a million for joining us on The Home Show today. Thanks. Thanks so much, Sinead. Now, after the break, Home of the Year winner Jennifer Sheehan will be here talking all things spiral themed from Frank Lloyd Wright to the Batlow House. Don't go away. We'll see you soon. Jennifer Sheehan, delighted to welcome you into studio and we are doing a little bit of spinning round and round today because we are talking all things spirals. I don't know, actually, it's a funny thing that we haven't done this before because it's such an extraordinary, I don't know, architectural phenomenon maybe, I suppose, to be poncy about it, but also the greatest fun. Yeah. Uh, There isn't a kid out there who doesn't love a spiral staircase. We were talking about tree houses uh, earlier in the show before the break and actually, I I think spiral staircases and slides have to come in there somewhere, don't they, as a bit of crack? They are the best. Um, So, tell us a little bit of the history of using spirals in in design. Right. Pull me back here because I might go deep. We're going to, <laughs> I feel quite strongly about this topic and it's a really, you're right, it's everywhere. Such an interesting topic. So we love spirals as humans because they are absolutely abundant in nature. So we're going to get mathematical. Okay. The Fibonacci sequence. Oh, I knew she was going to. Straight She's a Matt's head. I knew sequence. you were going to do this. <laughs> All right. It is It is actually quite interesting. Okay, time limit. Time box me here. Let's go. I'm going to try and fit Fibonacci this in, in a minute. In 10 seconds. Fibonacci sequence is a series of numbers where the previous two numbers add up to the third number. So it's one, one, one and one is two. 
one and two is three, two and three is five, three and five is eight, and so on forever. And this is a sequence which is replicated across nature. Everything. It's a natural sequence, isn't everything. it? Fossils so, and plants and all sorts. Faces, everything. It's incredible. It's, it's really the foundation of the universe almost. It's so ubiquitous, which makes it very beautiful. So where that comes into spirals is that... Long story short, if you take the previous two numbers and divide under the the third number, it comes out at a ratio which always is roughly the same, 1.1618, something like that. And where that comes into spirals is that the perfect spiral is widening by roughly that number every quarter turn. So that's enough maths, right? All we need to know is that there is a number that rules the universe. (laughs) <laughs> and if you draw a spiral it, it, it corresponds possibly not Saturday morning conversation <laughs> but it does give us a very very good basis people now are stirring their coffee going okay am I doing this in a Fibonacci sequence I'm going to put this I'll, pick, I'll put pictures of this on my Instagram at work do, do, do work. Okay. all you need to know is there is a golden number and there is a golden spiral that is derived from that number and so spirals are everywhere and so architecture picked this up at some point because it, it seems to me that it would it must be very difficult to design this artificially. Yes. Okay, nature has done it for us, mm. but to actually have something that's freestanding in a spiral, I, I think must be must be difficult. Very difficult. Um, so some, I think when people think of spirals, I, to me, I'm thinking of somebody like Frank Lloyd Wright. Not, not yes. just for that, but all the curvature yes. and, and the curved surfaces. Yeah. I mean, he built a house that had nothing but curves, didn't he? He built a few of them. So, so one of the interesting things about that spiral is that it, nature relies on it a lot because it's actually a very stable structure and it fits items in very efficiently. So seeds in a flower, you know, that kind of thing. So in architecture, then it makes sense that that somebody like Frank Lloyd Wright would use it. So he built a few. His most famous probably is has been redone recently. Worth looking up. It's called the Spiral House and he built it for his son and his daughter-in-law, David and Gladys. So it's called the David and Gladys House and it's okay. in Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> and it uses almost no straight lines at all. It is all curves. Even the windows are, are curved. Do you think you get a bit... I don't know, seasick in there. Well, or something. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. It might be hard to know if you're going in a straight line. <laughs> you could just where's the walk kitchen? Oh, it's around that corner. Yeah. Even the carpet. There's a very famous carpet in there. His March balloons design, which is all circles, mm, layered mm. over circles, and it's beautiful. And and true to architectural form, his lighting is is perfectly designed. So at, at daytime, it's a gorgeous curved house. You walk up the driveway. Everything is rounded and lovely and, and fluid. And at nighttime, it's almost like a lit up maze that you could get lost in. It's really, really beautiful. Now, when it comes to some of the spectacular design that you see, there are really important buildings that have used spiral, actually taken it to new heights. Yeah. Um, and I know that you're going to talk about one of them, which I've been in, which is the Battle House in, in Barcelona. Barcelona. Now, of course, Gaudi loved his old curves, you know, kind of yes, all over the place. everywhere. But this is, uh, I found myself disoriented in in the Battle House. And if anybody, if you haven't been in it, it's a great place to visit the next time you're in Barcelona. It's an insider, so you're looking down into the middle of it, but it's all over the place, like Alice in Wonderland kind of building. Very much it? like Alice in Wonderland. It's like being underwater. He built it like being underwater and he derived a lot of his form and his his inspiration from, from under the sea. And back to the spirals, if you look up when you're inside in that beautiful, beautiful house, there is a perfect spiral built into the ceiling that centres around a lovely mm. skylight. And that is exactly, back to our golden ratio, exactly the, the same spiral as you'd find in a shell, for example. Okay. A beautiful nautilus shell. Now, anywhere else? 
that we can we can have. So the Casa Bayo is beautiful. It means house of bones, all organic, all fluid, all all no straight lines again. He, he didn't like straight lines all over the place. The Vatican is probably one of the most famous. So mm. another place where we find spirals in nature is in our own DNA. So our DNA is, is a double helix, two helix. beautiful yeah, spirals nice. wrapped around each other. And so it's, you know, again, very fundamental to who we are as humans. And it's just something, uh, I guess, inherently that we're attracted to. So the original Vatican, 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 I'm going to pronounce this wrong now, but the Bramante staircase from the 1500s. This was the original that was built and then replicated by Giuseppe Momo in, in uh, the 30s. And it's a double helix like our DNA. So it has two curves beautifully wrapped, you know, dancing around mm. each other, almost going upwards and upwards. And it means then that people can follow their own way through the Vatican. So you can walk up and then you're not interrupted by anybody walking down against mm. you. They're walking down in the other secondary spiral. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I'm thinking of all the old Irish um, castles and Norman forts that were built that very often yeah. had a spiral staircase going up to the yeah, roof. Yeah, there's no room to pass on those. No, though, there? <laughs> no. And clever. of course they were all terribly short in those days. Yeah. Medieval times, so you're crouched as you're going up. Anyway, um, so it it you're I think you're right. It is literally in our DNA. It is in our DNA. It's built into us. So let's get practical then. If somebody wants to build a spiral staircase, can it be something that can be retrofitted into a house easily? So easily. This is one of the most exceptionally simple things that you can do in a house. You can buy if you're even a little bit handy. I'd nearly give this a go. Uh, I I own a drill, and I think I'm amazing. Okay, send the dog up in it first before you go up. (laughs) Spiral staircases are, they're very easy to install. You can buy your own kit to do it yourself. Really? Yeah, I found one in B&Q. Valentineladders.ie, you can get them in B&Q, about 1850. I found cheaper, I found about 1,000 to 1,200. One website I found an Irish one, Valentineladders.ie, had kits for 1,200 euro. I mean, a stairs for 1,200, where would you be going? And they need no space at all. So you just need just over a square metre, about 1.2 to 1.5 square metres. Isn't that the beauty of them, though? Because if you're in a small space and you've got a traditional staircase going up, you've you've taken out a whole wadge of of room there, haven't you? You've taken out a whole wadge. You've to find storage under it, but not above it. So it really does take up a lot of space. And the entrance point for a traditional staircase is kind of fixed there's, a, there's really only one way you can get on it. And if you have to turn it, that takes up a whole lot of other space. Whereas a spiral staircase, you can access it from any point. You can twist and turn it a little mm. bit. And that actually frees up a lot more floor space in the room down below or up above. That means you don't have to take that up as an access point for the stairs. Okay. So it saves even doubly, it saves space. Okay. And, and they look great. I think they're fab. And it might cut down in your alcohol consumption. At it the might. <laughs> yeah, they're not that easy to get. Well, they're fine if you're carrying something. Yeah, if you're carrying true. a suitcase home from your holidays, that's when they really turn into a bit of a Indeed. nightmare. Other than that, they're wonderful. All right. Okay. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much. Spirals and spiral staircases. Uh, let me know, folks, if you have a spiral staircase and, and what you think of it and if you would be interested in getting one in the house 53106 this morning. There's spot spirals um, everywhere now. So, yeah, You've seen them all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> we won't be able to unsee them now. Yeah. So from there to something that I we love spirals, so we're all agreed also on that. Roundy. Yeah. Also roundy, but I have to say, I have to confess, I'm not a fan. And it's we the agree old, on something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you don't like them either. No, clutter. We're talking about coasters, and coasters are beloved of 1970s Granny's house. Yeah. I, t- to me, 
you're right. I, I see the point of them. They're logical and they make sense and they keep your table clear. But actually, I don't like them. They're fiddly, they're faffy. And I think it's a bit pretentious, a bit high and bouquet. <laughs> Put your mug on the yeah. dream of putting it on the table. It's like you don't trust your guests. Yeah. <laughs> but we said we'd ask you to look a little bit into coasters and different types, because I know some people are, are absolutely wedged to them and they do mm. want to protect their surfaces. And that's that's perfectly OK. Yeah. So I'm with you. I think they're just kind of clutter and the type of house where I use coasters maybe also has a cover on their couch or something mm. so you don't dirty oh, yeah. it, you know. know. <laughs> Very high as in bouquet. I'll make you take off your but shoes at the front do, door. Yeah. Although I do that, I don't know. Mm. Anyway, another topic for another day. I, I, but if you have surfaces that might get damaged by a hot cup or a kettle or something like that, then okay, they make sense. And I actually have them, I got them as a gift to match my, my tableware from my aunt, so they're handy. So I usually just throw a book down. Because I like dual purpose things. So mm. instead of having coasters, I throw out a book. Or what I've done is I've kept tile samples from when I was shopping for tiles Great for the house. Idea. And actually, it and looks as if they're coasters. deliberate and trendy and not nicked. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they definitely go what you have. So, but however, if you do, you know, if you have a surface that needs to be protected, then you have to get them. So what can you do? You, you, there are nice ones out there. So the nicest ones I went shopping, most beautiful ones I found, a show favourite, Slated.ie. Ah, I love we've had Slated.ie everything on the show. And they are fabulous. And they do all the cake. They came on to talk about cake stands and, yes. and things like that. But actually, the coasters are, are cool. They're and gorgeous and they're personalisable. So they make a great gift. Oh, it'd be good for um, weddings and things, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, and they're made in Ireland. And they've they've upped their style now. So they, they have, it's, it's beautiful dark slate, but they've added styles that have lovely gold leaf or bits of silver and copper through them. And it looks, it, they're beautiful. Lovely. Yeah. Okay, so they would turn me on to coasters. That's Slated.ie yeah. because we, we, we know and like them. They're friends of the home show and they do beautiful work. Yes. Anywhere else? Another one I saw recently, I love Terrazzo. Mm. Never get over Terrazzo. Mm. And I saw this recently. I was I was at home um, in a shop uh, in Design a Local Story, a, a shop in Castle Troy Shopping Centre in Limerick and a beautiful homeware uh, brand called Nikki, N-I-C-I, uh, NikkiHome.ie and they have gorgeous Terrazzo coasters they make it with resin and lots of different types of things yeah. and they love it's lovely and it actually it and bounces gorgeous. the light off so if you have yeah. lights over your kitchen table it would just bounce off that terrazzo wouldn't yeah it be and they've lots of different styles and colours I, I just think it's really interesting it looks beautiful and so all handmade all in Limerick uh, big Excellent. big fan of them wonderful and then finally eco-conscious because we're all eco-conscious here uh, beach clean coasters from that beautiful website The Kind so thekind.co they're all unique they're all made with recycled plastic from our oceans and then they're merged together with cork which is a very sustainable material Lovely. that we grow in Ireland beautiful. and they're really nice Okay well sure that would nearly change your mind and, nearly. and give you a mind for co- for coasters <laughs> um, all over again Okay well let me know folks if you have uh, coasters if you like them or if they are strictly kind of passe I like you know, there's a part of me because I'm coming back. I I used to hate uh, napkin rings, for instance, and now I love oh, them. I like them you know, now. Yeah. yeah, and I've come back in. So maybe the coaster is just something that could be added to that as something part of your tablescape. Something about coasters, like I something reacted to me because they just have one purpose. They're just sitting there and they've only one function, and that annoys me. And yeah, napkin rings. And do you know what else I've gotten to love, especially over Christmas? I got a gift of those little rings you put around your drink. You know, your your glass of wine, like a little charm. An essential <laughs> piece of kit if you have more. Than a couple of people in the house, um, and at the nineties dinner party, it, that was absolutely it, wasn't it? Those little they things. do sell them in like little charms, so you can give everybody. You know the way on the Monopoly set, you give everybody yeah. the little dog or the boot, so you can buy those ring ones. You know, yeah. maybe meet out the personalities by secretly by not telling them. There's an old boot for you, Mrs. <laughs> <Good boot. laughs> 
<laughs> indeed and put them around now that we're all we can have people back in our houses and we can yes. enjoy entertaining and all of that thing I did okay. find it good at Christmas because the little you know the charm with the snowman was definitely mine and the charm with Santa was yours and yeah we weren't indeed. picking up each other all right okay well listen Jennifer uh, she and any what work are you doing on your house at the moment anything left I know that you've you had COVID a, a while back so you were probably laying low I was, was laying it, low for the knowing past you, week you were looking now. at architectural <laughs> magazines and design spiral staircases yeah. I am putting up a hammock out in my back garden so my back garden works very hard it's a nice sit out area yeah. for, for sunshine it's got a table that folds down for, for dinner parties but the sun was out last weekend and I thought this is hammock season it's coming I can feel it I don't want to jinx anything but we're getting a good summer and I'm putting up a hammock right and yeah. will be somebody to call for help now if you drop out of it. <laughs> You'll have to get into it very easily. Just get tangled up. Very right. left to come Well, of course, the, I, there, there's a way to get in and out of a hammock. I'm not sure. I, it's I know not it, graceful. I think <laughs> it's not graceful. And I think what you need to do is come side on in. Um, I take my cue from the royals who get in and out of a car seat by by going side onto the car, plonking mm. their bum down and then swinging both legs in at the same time. Yeah. So, you know, you've no I did, cameras up the I looked the skirt. into this. The, the hammocks that have those wooden rails at either end of them, they're much easier to get in and out of. But I don't have space for them in my garden, so it's going to be very ungraceful. Exit and entrance from my from my. That's all right. It's okay. Nobody be watching. Nobody be looking. Very private. The other thing I was really thinking about a lot this weekend, and I might have gone overboard here, is an outdoor shower. So I have a very small private courtyard, and I love my favorite thing after a swim is standing out in the shower and having a little a little shower after. So I'd love to plumb. You're in the city centre now. I'm worried about your neighbours. Nobody looking at me. Nobody looking. Delighted to see it, right? You, you and uh, maybe more so than Dermot Bannon, who also is one of those in his back garden. I need a drone spotter. Oh, sure right. You'll have to come back and tell us all about that if you're still in one piece and intact, Jennifer. Or if Sheen. anyone has any tips for outdoor showers, <laughs> I'm I'm out here. All ears, all right, Jennifer Jean. Thank you once again for joining us on the home show and it's been a pleasure and a delight to have you on board and if you'd like to get involved in the show that's all we have time for this week but you might have a question a topic you'd like to hear us cover a shop you'd like Jennifer to go off and visit and do a little bit of shopping on your behalf uh, and uh, do get in touch with us and you can drop us a text here at 53106 for 30 cents you can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com during the week we will read all of those and we get some great inspiration from them and don't forget to check out the Home Show podcast which is up on the News Talk website. Thanks to the production team today, Simon Keane, Stephen McLoom is on sound and it's Anton Savage up next. Have a fantastic weekend. Don't forget to put the clocks forward tomorrow morning uh, and I will see you all again next Saturday at 8 o'clock. 